This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey everyone, welcome along to the wrap up episode for series three of the High Performance Podcast. These are always good fun actually. Damien and myself, we just sit, we chat, we reminisce because I think it's really important you understand that as much as these podcasts are us helping you go on a high performance journey, it's exactly the same for us as well. And today Damien's come up with a really nice idea that we're going to look at five stages of successful change. Dream, leap, fight, climb, and arrive. So welcome to the Series 3 wrap-up of the High Performance Podcast. Well, here we are then, the final episode of Series 3. It's amazing to think we've got here so quickly. Hi, Damien. Hi, Jake. Yeah, I was thinking that a lot of people get in touch with me and talk about uh, how do they make changes in their own lives and how long is it likely to take. And I was thinking that if we introduce them to the work of Joseph Campbell, he's one of my heroes. Um, Joseph Campbell is um, he's a sociologist, and at the start of the 20th century, he spent 20, 30 years travelling the most diverse cultures on the planet, asking, what do we have in common? And what he found is one of the common traits of all human beings is how we deal with change, and he identified five stages from it. Now, people that might be interested in Joseph Campbell's work, he wrote a famous book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, You might want to explore that, but if you want an easier guide to it, one of uh, Joseph Campbell's most famous students was George Lucas. So anyone that's seen any of the Star Wars films will know what the five stages are as well. And these five stages are, we go for the dream stage, we then go to leap stage, where we have to make a commitment and go off on our journey. Then we get into the fight stage, where we experience difficulties. And then we start to see seeds of progress emerge, and then finally, we get to the arrival bit where we, where we achieve our objectives. And I was figuring that if we use these five stages, it might be a really handy guide for 
anyone listening today to be able to plot where they are on the journey of making change happen in their own lives, on their own journey to high performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really nice idea, actually, because a lot of the things that people tell us are that before listening to the podcast, they weren't even doing the things that they're doing now, or they've wanted to do something all their lives, and it's listening to this podcast that then means they they suddenly make a decision, take a leap, make a change. So I think it's a really sort of vital tool for people to think, well, okay, I, I did that change a few weeks ago or a few months ago. Where where do I sit now? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think it's like it's like almost having a sat nav or a map of your journey, and I think that's often quite helpful that when you can orientate yourself and understand, well, where am I? on this stage if we say like when we meet the fight stage rather than then see it as a sign that we're on the wrong path if you can recognize well actually it's a sign that I'm moving in the right direction because these these obstacles are part of the journey rather than something to be avoided or feared it can keep your morale high at times when it's being tested right well let's crack on with it then Um, I'm looking forward to this Uh as always, I uh, mentioned for Lotus Cars. I'm sure those of you that have listened to the podcast since Series 1 know that Lotus were there at the very beginning. They're our founding partner, and we are so proud that for the past three series, they've been alongside us. You can find them on social media at Lotus Cars. They are the epitome of high performance. Their cars are incredible. The people there are amazing. So everyone at Lotus Cars, and I know that lots of you at the factory in Hethel, just outside Norwich, down the road from my house, are listening to the podcast. So... We're so thankful and grateful that you decided to be part of our journey. Well, let's start then on the dream stage. And we're going to start with a clip from the first ever black Springbok captain, Sio Colisi. Now, before we hear the clip, Damien, I did make a brief mention of this on the episode where we heard from him. But let's just (laughs) delve a bit deeper. You were relentless. We talk about relentlessness on the podcast. You were relentless at trying to get Sio Colisi for this pod. So well done. Yeah, no, thank you. I was really chuffed when we got him. I know that... uh, um, I've got a friend uh, called Tom that works at the Stormers uh, out in Cape Town. And uh, Tom had frequently told me just about how powerful Sia was as a cultural architect at the at the club in terms of just how kind he was, how decent. And what like a real rare quality that you might associate with, um, with a, a, a bear of a man like Sia was that Tom had told me that he was the best hugger in the world. And... I always think that a really nice quality of these guys is how they treat people that can't do anything for them. It's one of those old qualities. And Tom had told me that he was incredibly consistent, whether he was talking to the cleaner or whether he was talking to the president of South Africa. Sia was just exactly the same person. So I was really keen to get him on, not only because he's got an amazing story, but I just thought his values and his qualities would have something to uh, to offer us. So I was delighted that Tom and Kelly, his manager, were so helpful to us in, in arranging for Sia to come and do it. And I think those values shone through. I remember we recorded, it was a Sunday afternoon, wasn't it, UK time? About three in the afternoon or something, I think. I'd just wrapped up some roast beef in the kitchen with the kids. Yeah. That had been sent down to the stomach and then it was in here to do this. And you know, sometimes when you speak to these high-achieving individuals, they often come from a place of, right, I don't think you're going to be very good. I'm going to judge you straight away and then you have to prove me wrong. He wasn't like that. It felt like, you know, he sat down, didn't he? He was in his living room. He got his computer going. Obviously, we had a few sound issues. His kids were coming in and out. <laughs> but he just he just said, 
sort of exuded warmth and I felt really comfortable really quickly talking to a World Cup winning rugby captain and those people can be imposing at times but I didn't sense that at all from him. No, definitely not. And again, a nice coda to the end of uh, our interview was that when it came out um, last week, I, I got a lovely message off Seer himself just to say thank you for having him on. He said that the feedback he's had has been the best uh, that he's ever received for an interview. And, and and again, I think it speaks volumes for him that he came back and thanked us for uh, uh, for giving him a platform to share his story, which again is entirely consistent with that impression that you got and that I felt as well when we sat down with him. Well, let's do it then. Let's start our five stages of successful change. And we're going to start with the dream stage, as Damien's already explained. And this is a clip from Sia Colisi in that dream stage, having those big dreams. Just have a dream, believe in it and work as hard as you can. Don't let family members or anybody who couldn't achieve their dreams or live their dreams tell you that you can't make it. You, you, you're the only person that can fight and believe in your dream and nobody will believe in your dream more than you do. You just got to be willing to fight, man, with everything you can to, to, to make whatever it is that you want to be. See, Damien, I think this is absolutely the crux of everything. For a start, right, if you haven't got the dream, the next four stages are never going to follow. The journey is never going to come because you have got to have the dream about where you want that journey to take you. I think the other really crucial thing from my perspective for anyone listening to this is that there's absolutely no benefit to thinking that your dream is not going to happen, that you're never going to get to where you want to go. Like, of course it might not happen, but thinking you will get there gives you so much more power than thinking that you won't. And that's almost like the first thing that I feel people have to understand in the dream stage is don't be ashamed or shy of having that dream. Absolutely, because the emotion that when you're tied into a dream that comes with that powerful emotion of why you want it, and, and, and it's basically going back and asking that question, well, why do I want this? And it might be, I want to give a better life for my family. I want to have the... Uh, the freedom of having choices or I want to experience all these things. These are all all really powerful emotions that start to propel us forward. I mean, I often think that that seer clip reminds me of that quote from the Stone Roses that I think it was Ian Brown, the front man, that said, it. you know, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at that really counts. And I like that idea that, you know, a guy that came from such crushing poverty of the townships like what seer did, demonstrates that you don't need to be surrounded by wealth and riches and contact lists to be able to have a dream, you know, and know where you want to go to and know that you want something better than what you have today. And I think that is, I'm so pleased you've mentioned that early on because I sometimes, well, I often have an issue that when we're on here and we're talking about big ambitions and big dreams, I'm really aware that, that, you know, you and I are privileged middle age, middle class white men to sit on a podcast and talk about wherever you are, you've got to dream big and believe things can happen. I think it's easy for people listening to this to think, well, it's okay for you to say that because look what you've got compared to what I've got. But then we come back to exactly what you just said. And let's play a clip, actually. We've got a clip about Sia talking about where he was from. And I think it's important when you're listening to these pods that this isn't me and Damien saying, you can go and achieve anything you want. This is Sia Colisi, who could not have been born in more abject poverty than he was with less opportunities than he had, telling you that you can still dream and that you shouldn't be a victim. Have a listen. 
just because your parents are poor doesn't mean you're going to be poor. You got to work each and every single day. Like for me, because the opportunity will come. That's what I realized. The opportunity will come, or it might not come, or some people doesn't come. But I prepared each and every single day by going to training. And when the opportunity came, I was ready when I got my bursary. Most people complain and complain and complain. Opportunity presents itself and they're not ready. And that's where the difference is. And that every single time I've had an opportunity, I've been able to grab with both hands because I've been preparing. And the way that my grandmother raised me, you got to make use of what you have around you before you start complaining about what you don't have. One of the biggest things that I've learned, I'm going to use everything I, have, I can. If I can't make it, then I'll go look for help because maybe this is not enough anymore. Strong message, Damien. Absolutely. I think that your point that you made before we listened to that was that it's not where you're from. It's very much around that we all have the capacity to dream, to imagine what life could be like, you know, that things could be better than it is. And I think wherever you're from, surrounding yourself with people that understand and have a degree of empathy with those kind of dreams that you have, share them with people that you trust, people that are invested in it with you, are a really powerful part of starting to create a tribe. So if you think about, I mentioned Joseph Campbell and I said it was the inspiration for Star Wars and other films like Lord of the Rings based on uh, the famous books, obviously. But we all need a tribe of people that are invested in it with us. This is one of the things that I sometimes say to people that contact me about setting up their own business. I say, make sure that you've got your significant people in your lives bought into your dream of what that business is going to give you, what it's going to require and the demands that it makes because you need them coming along and invested in that dream as well. And that's what Sia spoke about, you know, the influence of his grandmother, for example, in, in nurturing and encouraging that optimism to make him believe that, you know, where he was from wasn't necessarily going to be where he, uh, where he would end his days. I love it. Um, so that's the dream stage. So first of all, as we've heard, you have to have the dream. Don't be negative. Don't be a victim. Don't think that this dream is somebody else's because the circumstances around me mean this dream is never going to happen for me. If you have that mentality, then you're pretty much hitting a full stop before you've even got going. Then comes the moment where you need to take a leap And that is the moment that we hear from the former Liverpool captain and the current Rangers manager, Stephen Gerrard. What would you say is your one golden rule to living a high-performance life? Sacrifice. Sacrifice is massive. I think there's two. There's the sacrifice, and as I say, that word, them them two words being all in. I don't think you can get to where you want to get to if you're 80-90% on it. I think you've got to go for it. It's a difficult message sometimes for people to hear, Damien, but it's probably the crucial one. We've come up with the dream. The only way to now make that dream a reality is, in the words of Steven Gerrard, he's, he knows this because he's been there, is to be all in. Absolutely. If you think about it in terms of that phrase, what it encapsulates is commitment. And commitment is that idea that at some stage you make a choice that I'm going to go for this. None of our guests that we've been lucky enough to interview in the three series so far, Jake, have found themselves where they are by accident. They've not sort of woke up one day and discovered that they're high performers and they don't know how they've done it. At some stage, they've had to make a choice that they want to go for this and that they're prepared to make the sacrifices and meet the standards that are required of them. And at some stage, we have to stop dreaming and we have to start doing something that moves us in the direction of that goal. And 
I like Steven Gerrard's two words, all in, as a way of describing that moment where you start to move towards where you want to be. And at this point, I want to talk to you about um, fear of failure, because I think it's probably easier to have a dream than it is to take the leap. And we will always have reasons to not take the leap. And probably the biggest one for a lot of people listening to this is the fear of taking the leap and letting themselves down, letting the people around them down, feeling embarrassed, man, because they because they fail. Definitely. I think that this is where one of the powerful ways of remedying that is, first of all, conducting the process called that we've spoke a few times on the pod around a pre-mortem working out all the things that can go wrong and working out what they are and how you're going to handle them. And one of them is the fear of failure. And I think Kelly Jones, when we sat down and spoke to him, spoke about how he'd spent years going down wormholes, uh, worrying about the consequences of what could happen. And I think it's important that, that we make the acknowledgement and reframe failure rather than see it as a full stop. We see it as a comma along the way. It's a moment to give us pause, to think about, whether we're on the right path or not, but see it as part of the process. Failure is inevitably going to be part of your journey to high performance. So rather than fear it, embrace it and see it as just an opportunity to learn. And here is Kelly talking about going down wormholes. My head has took me down so many wormholes in my life that I've lost so much time from doing it. And that's one thing in the future I'd never want to continue to do. It's an occupational hazard in some ways because the places you go to brings out some gold sometimes. But unfortunately, you can miss moments in your life that are right in front of you. I think what's key with that, Damien, um, and for those of you that didn't listen to the episode with Kelly Jones, the lead singer of the Stereophonics, it was one of the most moving interviews that we've done and not the kind of conversation that you would expect three blokes sitting around a table to have even five years ago, I would imagine. So I'd, I'd encourage you to find the episode and have a listen to it. There was something really important that came out of that, though. Not just the fact that even someone who's achieved as much as Kelly has with his band went down wormholes. And if he's going to find himself doing that and having doubts and struggles and things, then we all will. But almost accepting that that is part of getting the success. You almost have to accept there's going to be failure, struggles and difficulty, but use it use it to your advantage as he does. Yeah, definitely. I think just acknowledging it at this stage that, that he used that lovely phrase about you walk towards the fear rather than try and avoid it. I think once you acknowledge it, that it's going to, it's going to happen. We're all going to get put on our backside. I know I've spoken before that I grew up in a, in a boxing household. And this is one of the things that was a conversation that many boxers don't like to have, but the best boxers will confront it is how are you going to handle that moment where you get put on your backside on the canvas? And those that try and resist it and say, oh, it never happened to me. You can see that in those dark moments when it does, they panic, they jump up and they and they find themselves reacting to the difficulty. Those that embrace it and think about how they're going to handle, they respond in the moment. You'll often see their karma in the way that they give themselves a few moments to compose themselves. They'll take a knee and they use the eight second count to their advantage. I like using that analogy to think about how are you going to handle those moments where you get put on your backside. If you fear it, you don't know how you're going to respond in the moment. If you prepare for it, you can actually deal with it in an elegant, calm, graceful manner. It's that Mike Tyson quote, isn't it? Hey, yeah, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I think 
you're right. If you if you anticipate how you're going to handle that getting punched in the face, it gives you the chance of then continuing to leap yeah. and move towards the destination you want to get to. So have the dream. Don't be negative about your dream. Don't be a victim. Don't imagine that dream isn't for you. And then once you've got the dream, you have to take the leap. You have to take the leap knowing that there is going to be failure. There is going to be struggle. But if you go all in and you use the struggle and the challenges as positives and you have a plan for when you get punched in the face, you're then on the journey. But it's not over yet because now we enter the fight stage and we're going to hear from a man who did fight. He fought as a Gurkha. He fought as a special forces operative. And then he fought to climb the biggest and scariest mountains in the world faster than anybody else. Nims Perger joined us on Series 3 of the pod. And if we're talking about fight, he's the perfect man to hear from. I always believe that if you want to be the best in the world, you shouldn't have any excuses. And I always believe that, you know, excuses are for losers. You know, have you heard any person who has won make any excuses? No. And I didn't want to fall in that category. That is as simple as that, you know. Even maybe when I, when I, when I fail to, you know, summit a mountain, I will probably come with the excuses. But then I made that excuses because I failed it. And I don't want to fall in that category. You lose, you lose. So it's very simple for me. The eye-opener for me on that uh, clip, Damien, and that episode with Nims was that he readily said that when I'm making excuses, that's when I know I failed. Because I think one of the things for me is I'm never really sure when I am doing well or not doing very well. And since interviewing Nims, I've reframed my thinking to if I find little excuses coming in, if I'm making excuses for the things that aren't going very well, that is when I know I'm on the wrong path. Yeah, definitely, Jake. I think... If there's three words that sum up so many of our interviews, it's fault versus responsibility. And I think controlling our language and recognising that where our language betrays our thinking, that if you find yourself pointing the finger and looking at why it wasn't my fault, why these people let me down, why this didn't work, we've already started to accept the possibility that this is the end of our journey and that we've found a reason to justify it and it protects our ego that I failed because, but it wasn't my fault. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And that's the moment where the fight stage often ends up crippling so many people that are on their journey to high performance. I often think that if you relate it to, say, in football clubs, this is the moment where a football club sacks its head coach at the fight stage as soon as they experience difficulty. And they bring in somebody that goes takes you back to stage one and gets everyone excited. And then unless you fix the problems at this fight stage that you're going to experience and you start to show patience and understanding and responsibility, you'll get you find yourself trapped in that cycle year after year after year. So understanding how powerful language is and not making excuses but embracing complete responsibility is a really critical factor of getting through this fight stage and I think this is an important message particularly for young people listening to this because as parents we're both parents of young children I I am daily concerned about whether I'm creating resilience in my kids Um, and I love the phrase that failure isn't the opposite of success it's the journey to getting there and I think that it's really important at this point when we've talked about the dream and the leap and now you're fighting is people have to expect that they're going to fight because all too often people go right this is my plan and two or three weeks or two or three months later they're struggling they're fighting and they're failing and they think oh whoops I went down totally the wrong road this isn't my plan at all well it is your plan And the fight is part of getting there. You're not on the wrong path. So then they stop and go, right, I'm going to go 180 degrees in that direction. And then they fight in that direction as well because it's inevitable. So then they're suddenly lost and then they go nowhere. I know. It's like um, like when you set yourself a New Year's resolution and people say, oh, you know, it's a new year, new you. And they've got all these plans about, say, wanting to lose weight and feel great in the summer on the holidays. And what we know is that like membership of diet clubs spikes in the first few weeks of January where people are desperate to go along and do it. But then membership falls off by approximately the same numbers by the second week of February. And that's because that's when you've got far enough into your journey, you've made the leap and then you stumble and fall for the first time. And this is where people then start making excuses and go, oh, I can't lose weight. Uh, my mum and dad were fat or I'm big boned or, you know, and they start coming up with all kinds of, ridiculous excuses to justify that they've fallen and it's not their fault and I think exactly like you say if we embrace it and see it that we will fall but it's how we respond to those setbacks that give us the opportunity of keep progressing towards our our dream so don't be embarrassed by the failure don't avoid the failure don't think that the failure is actually failure it isn't and the other thing is It's coming your way, as Matthew McConaughey so brilliantly explained when he joined us. Look, you got to have the dark to appreciate the light. You got to, I mean, at the end and the end, you got to, I mean, we don't like the yellow and reds, lights in our life, but damn, if most of the time they aren't something we need. So then goes back to your earlier question. Do we recognize what the lesson we got from them? Because yeah, all red lights and lights do suck if we don't actually realize what we were supposed to learn. And if we don't realize what we're supposed to learn in the crises or hardships of life or things we don't get that we wanted, what do we do? Stuck on this little little merry-go-round of nothing but green lights running out of gas because life's for nothing but entertainment? Well, that sounds like a bunch of You know what I mean? Where's the evolution? Where's the ascension? If you step in, step in shit and every time you step in shit, you pop up and scrape it off and keep running, 
and you come around the track again, you step in shit again. So the loophole is, I think I'm going to not just scrape the shit off my boots right now and keep running. I'm actually going to turn around and go, why do I keep stepping in that pile of shit? <laughs> so I'm going to recognize it. So next time I come around the bend, I can go around it. I can hop over it or, you know, find another path. So create a yellow light, a red light to go. That's the time where you go, why am I stepping in that shit? That's, that's the self-imposed red or yellow light. Or you say when we talk about taking risk, to realize what the lesson is the self-imposed yellow and red light to go, wait a minute, let me take pause here. What am I supposed to learn from this? And if you do that, that yellow and red then becomes green. So that conversation, Damien, moved us even further down the road of talking about excuses, because it's not just like making excuses is a bad thing and you shouldn't do it. What Matthew is basically saying is making excuses removes the learning. Definitely. Because then again, you're externalizing it. So Think about it if, for anyone listening to this, that when they listen to, say, a sports team after a defeat, listen to the language of uh, of the coaches, uh, the head coaches after it, that when you hear a head coach come out after a defeat and immediately start blaming the referee or the opposition or the environment or something outside of their control, it removes the ability to do anything about it because it wasn't my fault. It was bad luck. It was the weather. Whereas what you'll find high-performing coaches do is they'll articulate the reason for the defeat as something that they could do something about. You know, our preparation wasn't right this week or our intensity or our passing wasn't crisp enough. And that then means that you can fix that. You can do something about it. So there's almost an intelligence to when things go wrong. Don't externalize it, but go and explore it and work out what does that tell me? What do I need to do better next time? That means that if I face it, I'm smarter and wiser. I mean, and, and just to kind of press pause on this for a minute and take us out of just having this conversation for other people, like for us, for me, I'm 42 years old, right, Damien? And we are having conversations that I am learning from. And even sitting here now and reflecting on it, I'm learning even more. Like ex- the fact that making an excuse takes away the ability to learn from an error or a mistake or a period of difficulty. I had not considered that until the age I'm at now. I just kind of assumed, as a lot of people do, that excuses are part of life. You're not in control of excuses. Something goes wrong, <laughs> yeah. you look for the excuse. That's what you do. Like, that's the way it works. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly, that's not the way it works. Well, I'll give you a personal example. Again, we're on a journey with uh, with the podcast. And a lot of my preparation is I like reading about our guests that we're going to do, and then I'll scribble some themes. And then I like to sort of turn up and just listen to them and then go wherever the interview takes us. And then... When we sat with Stephen Gerrard, I, I, I said to you afterwards, I felt I'd let myself down because I sort of stumbled over some of my questions and I wasn't asking them as well as I felt I could have done. So rather than sort of blame any other factor for that, I wanted to take Matthew McConaughey's advice and explore well, what happened there. And I felt that I was underprepared a little bit in terms of being able to articulate what I wanted to get to. So in the interviews after that, I started to come along with a little bit more of a script that allowed me to use it as a crutch uh, if I uh, if I needed to. Now, the responsibility and the fault for what I felt was an underperformance on my part was entirely down to me, but I could understand what I'd done that meant I could try and get a little bit better next time. And I think sometimes people are so reluctant to, to discuss like how, where to improve and things because they think it's like a criticism of them or it's a slight on their own character. I'd look at it a different way now, which is like 
you owe it to yourself to look at where you can improve. Are you basically saying, you're either saying, I'm so arrogant and so perfect and so brilliant, I can't improve, so I'm not going to bother learning from that mistake. Or the total opposite, which is, I'm not really worth improving. I'm not really worthy of looking at the little bits in my life and making them better. Which again comes back to who the people you surround yourself are, Jake. So I think surrounding yourself with people at that early stage of the dream process that are invested in your dream and care about it and understand your journey mean that when they come and say to you, you could get better at that, or you can talk to them about how do I improve on this? They're invested in your success with you and they're therefore going to give you something honest and hopefully useful that you can take away and apply to it. So where you seek your validation becomes really important. It, it shouldn't be done on social media or to, or to the masses. It should be done just internally with a group of people that you trust that have got your best interests at heart. So we've had the dream. We've talked about um, the importance of not being negative, not being a victim. We've then taken the leap and we've realised that actually failure isn't something to avoid. Failure is something to embrace. And even when we're fighting, as Nims has explained to us, if you find yourself suddenly making excuses, that's when you know you might be starting to fail. So you need to pull yourself back. And Matthew McConaughey's point that excuses literally remove the learning from the struggles is absolutely vital as well so we are struggling we're not making excuses we're learning from our struggles but we're also climbing and that brings us into the climb stage and joining us on the podcast in series three was a man who climbed to the top of the world winning the rugby world cup with the england team and he spoke to us about the importance of his teamship rules so I'll just give you, give, me, give me an example. And this is so just some of the behaviours. Because I think the way you operate off the field of play reflects how you operate on the field of play. So let's take a thing called time. I am neurotic about time. You know, I'm never late for anybody, ever. I think time says more about an individual or teams of people and probably anything I can think about. So I had this big conversation with the player. So I set the whole scene. And I said, you know, I can see Johnson looking at me. So, you know, where's this going? I said, well, I'm going to leave the room now. I want you to discuss time. Because I don't want to stand it for the next eight years going, guys, don't be late. I want to just put it as absolute part of our culture. So they kind of got it. This is why I think Johnson was a genius. He kind of got this. So they had a big chat about it. He came back to me in a bit of paper and said, you know, we, we, we get what you're saying. So we, we're going to say time is, is 10 minutes early. So if you call a meeting to start at nine o'clock tomorrow morning, we'll be in the room at 8.50. And the key thing about this teamship rule, Jake, you, you can only become a teamship rule if you get 100% agreement. And I then read it. That's it. And then we think of a name. We call it Lombardi time after Vince Lombardi, a famous American football coach. You meet any, and you'll meet these players, just meet any England rugby players, go Lombardi time, and they'll go 10 minutes early. That was a real pleasure to be invited to um, Sir Clive Woodward's garden to sit and talk about it. And actually, of all of the podcast episodes this series, Teamship Rules is one that I keep on having repeated back to me on social media. It really resonated with people, I think, because it's easy to understand, you know? Yeah. And it can be translated to anyone's life in any situation. Yeah, definitely. Just the ambiguity is the enemy of so many sort of uh, relationships that when you're not clear about what are the standards, what are the behaviours that we're not prepared to compromise on. And I think then when you start to spot them, like Clive's example there of if timekeeping is a standard, it isn't just the timekeeping, it's what it says. It's about your respect for other people. It's about your preparation. And again, it's about your commitment that you've said you'll be there. So you show up on time. Now, all of those attributes of respect, humility, and commitment, do we feel that when 
that last minute of the 2003 World Cup final was under pressure, those characteristics helped them perform at that moment? Absolutely. So I think the progress bit, the climb bit, is about where you start spotting the behaviours in action and start to recognise them happening and that you can therefore catch people in and acknowledge that, that they're demonstrating exactly what you do stand for in your culture. And we actually heard from Dylan Hartley, didn't we? And it's worth just listening to this. I know that Dylan didn't join us on on this episode of the podcast, but we thought it was really interesting to hear um, a different take on creating a, a winning culture, particularly in rugby. The team is the teams. It's not the manager's team. The, the, there's on-field stuff that is kind of shared and sometimes dictated by coaches. But culturally, I think the team runs itself. I think the best cultures are the ones that you you feel. You walk in, it sounds kind of almost cliche, but you see it and you smell it and you you know. When you, when you walk in that changing room or you go onto that training field, you know what's expected. So this is an important one, isn't it, Damien? Because I think quite often, and I certainly had this feeling before creating this podcast, I thought that culture was not something that you could see and you could feel. You kind of had a good one or a bad one. Yeah, and I think... What's been fascinating and where we've been lucky in the whole of the series that we've done is like that example with Dylan. We're seeing perspective. We're seeing so many different perspectives. So we've heard in this bit here about the head coach, the guy who's setting the tone for the culture, and then we're hearing the players that are then embracing it uh, and taking it on. And I think this is a really important point that when we talk about culture, it can be a powerful competitive advantage. But I think we need to get away from the idea that cultures are good or bad, toxic or high-performing. I think there are types of culture. And what the the research tells us is the most successful type of culture is what we call commitment cultures. And these are where you have really clearly defined behaviours and a really clearly defined sense of mission, where we're heading. And I think, you know, the the example of England rugby through, whether it was Clive's tenure or um, the current setup is, our mission is to win the World Cup but the behaviours that are how we're going to get there start to help us understand that's the culture. They're the standards that people have to buy into. And I think it's definitely worth us reiterating that even when you're on the climb stage and you've created a great culture, don't then think that suddenly everything becomes easier. I think it's, I think it's probably worth pointing out, Damien, that the people who've joined us on the podcast, some of them have been, you know, early in their career, someone like Tom Daly, who's now competing. Others, their career as they knew it previously had ended, a, a Rio Ferdinand or a Robin Van Persie, you can no longer kick a football anymore. Others, like Sir Clive Woodward or Mauricio Pochettino or Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, they're older, but they're still fully engaged in creating cultures at the moment. I think it's just vital, we say, that no matter what stage anyone who's joined us is at, the fight and the struggle is always there. Yeah, Definitely. Jake, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's a powerful point that you're making here that 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 there's no end point to this. I think there's an arrival stage, which is the fifth bit, where you take moment to pause, to celebrate and acknowledge your successes. But that's not the end point. That's where you simply acknowledge it and then start to plan again. You go back to stage one, which is you start to dream again. What's next? Where are we going to? based on this next stage of the mountain. Okay, so then we we arrive. Or do we ever actually arrive, Damien? 
as I say, I think it's that moment where uh, where you take pause to celebrate. I think the moment of a celebration or an acknowledgement of what you've achieved is really important. I think it, because it allows you to draw an end to that to that stage before you start to plan again, and you, and the whole process just regenerates itself. So I think you have a look at um, cultures that don't sustain themselves, teams that maybe burn brightly for a short period. And what you'll often find is that they don't renew themselves. There's that phrase that when you're at the top of the mountain, you have to start looking for the next mountain to conquer. And I think it's teams that sort of self-satisfied pat themselves on the back and think they can just repeat it without embracing the same stages of the journey are the ones that burn brightly for a short time but don't sustain success. Well, you're going to hear two clips now, uh, the final two clips we've got for this review episode. Um, You're going to hear Steph Horton, the England football captain, talking about the importance of enjoying experiences. And then the Hollywood actor Matthew McConaughey again explaining that there is no yet. That was a moment where I was like, right, okay, just enjoy every single minute, Steph, no matter what the result is, like, you've prepared well, your family's all coming down from the northeast to come and see your player, we're doing something after the game, whether we win or lose, I was like, right, okay, I kind of, like, relaxed a little bit more, which is probably one of the first times I've ever really done that, and I was like, I actually enjoyed the whole experience a little bit more. I think we're all chasing yet, <laughs> and if we realise that we never are going to arrive, that's the point. There is no yet. It's always yet. (laughs) And then if we can go, ah, life's a verb. It's the process. Shit. That's as good as it gets. All right, I'm in. (laughs) Life's a verb. By the way, the energy that man brought to this podcast is something that is going to live with me forevermore. You know, when we recorded that, Harriet was down on the floor of the study making notes. She just got out (laughs) of the shower. I was so tempted to get the computer on FaceTime or Zoom, whatever we were using, and say, Matthew, there's my wife on the floor. Um, but look, I think this is, this is the most important message we're going to give people today. And I think it's the perfect way for this five stages of successful change to end. Is that if you are waiting for that moment where you go, oh, I've done it then you are going to be waiting for a long time because every single person we've spoken to, that moment doesn't arrive. Tyrone Mings was great talking about the fact that there is no arrival. But that's why whatever it is that people dream at the beginning before they take the leap and they start fighting and climbing, it's got to be something they love. Because if it's not something that you love, if you're only doing it for the arrival, then you're going to have a difficult time ahead. Definitely. I think it goes back to that idea that if, if, that if we, if you're only judging it on the outcomes, the process and, um, and what you learn from it never actually satisfies you. I think that we get caught up in our society of thinking that it's about material possessions and how much money we have in the bank, the car we're driving, the house we live in. And the reality is it's what we'd learn on the process of getting there, which brings us back to Joseph Campbell's uh, the guy who identified these five stages talks about it's it's about you can go back to the place that you started at the arrival stage, but you're different somehow. The change has happened internally. It's what you've learned. It's the person you've become on that journey that really defines what success and high performance is. It's a brilliant way to end. Look, Damien, it's been so nice to sit here for the last 45 minutes or so and just look back on that. And I really hope that for you at home, 
If you haven't heard those full interviews with the guests that we've just shared the little clips from, feel free to go back and do it. But I I just hope that it makes you realise that anyone can dream. Everyone at some point in their life should take a leap. And then you have to expect the fight and the climb. But please don't live your life thinking, I can't wait till I get to the point where I'm going to be happy because the journey, the life is what should make you happy. Just to reiterate the words of Matthew McConaughey, there is no yet. Right, we're we're done. That's series three, Damien. All wrapped up. No, it's flown by, hasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I've loved it. You know what? When you look back on that and you think you know, chatting to Sierra or Matthew in our studies because we couldn't travel at the time, or popping up to Liverpool and talking to Stephen Gerrard, being in Manchester and Steph Orton coming and joining us, having a drink in Sir Clive Woodward's garden. It's like, man, I am I'm, I'm learning as much as the people listening to these pods. There's no question. Yeah, me too. And I think I think that I, d- I keep having to remind myself as we're doing it that just to appreciate the moment, live in the moment with it and just recognise that how lucky we are uh, to be able to talk to these people that are giving themselves so generously and sharing their insights that it just feels like a real privilege to be present for this and then to be able to share it so widely. And how lucky we are, Damien, to have you along for the journey. Um, I've asked you this at the end of every series. You've always said yes. Let's hope you continue to do so. Will you come back for series four? Absolutely. I love it, Jake. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I love it. And I appreciate the invitation to be asked. So thank you. No worries. Well, look, put this in your diary, okay? The 8th of February is the first episode of Series 4 of the High Performance Podcast. Um, We'd love you to come along for the ride. At this point, I want to say a huge thanks to Will, to Hannah, to Finn, to Sophie, to Tom, who've all been involved in creating the podcast. Um, Big thanks as well to Lotus Cars from Damien and myself. We totally understand and we are well aware that without them at the beginning, we wouldn't be where we are now. But most of all, thank you to you. Thank you for the millions of downloads thank you for the ratings thank you for the reviews thank you for talking about the podcast sharing the podcast thank you to the teachers who've given to their students thank you for the leaders in business who are creating workshops and groups thank you to the people that have made whatsapp groups where they talk about the podcast all of those conversations we know is the energy that keeps driving us on to the next stage. So we're going to be gone for a few weeks, but in the meantime, we will continue to be around on Instagram. We're going to keep on doing Instagram lives, particularly during this shutdown. You can also find us on YouTube as well. Just take a look for the High Performance Podcast on YouTube and come and join the many people who are not just listening to, but also watching the High Performance interviews. Thank you so, so much for being part of the journey so far. See you for Series 4 in February 2021 but for now continue living and chasing that high performance life Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.